Hi everyone, and welcome to episode two of Small Biz Gone Viral, an attempt via podcast to humanize the impact COVID-19 is having on small businesses. I'm your host, Grant Laveau. My guest today is the very talented, very funny, and almost unknowingly entrepreneurial comedian, Chris Duffy. Yes, this podcast is an excuse for me to chat up some of my favorite entrepreneurs slash humans, but by talking open and honestly about the pandemic and its effects on small businesses and the humans who run them, I hope to remind everyone, you are not alone. This situation genuinely sucks for all of us, but we're going to get through it together. Because this podcast is meant to encapsulate the moment, I think it's helpful to add some quantitative context. So with that in mind, here are some key public health and economic statistics from the date of this interview, March 29th, 2020. There have now been 724,000 total reported cases of COVID-19 worldwide, with just over 35,000 deaths. In the U.S., there are currently 144,000 active cases and over 3,200 deaths. For perspective, since we recorded our first interview just three days ago, active cases are up 67% and deaths have doubled. Moving on to the economics, but continuing with the depressing news, let's start with unemployment. Last week, there were 3.3 million new unemployment filings, which obliterated the previous record of 700,000 back in the 1980s. On to the stock market. And although I recently heard it described as a mood ring for the rich, the Dow Jones finished the day at 23,700, down 20% from its all-time high of 29,500 five weeks ago. All right, let's start the fun part. Today's guest is comedian, TV writer, and radio slash podcast host, Chris Duffy. He transitioned fully from an elementary school teacher to comedian after creating, writing, and hosting You're the Expert a show with three comedians and one expert who the comedians know literally nothing about and begin each episode with a game of 20 questions trying to figure out exactly what that scientist does all day. The show was eventually picked up by WBUR, NPR's Boston affiliate station. Chris's writing has been featured in, among other places, The New Yorker and The Boston Globe. Recently, he wrote for both seasons of Wyatt Cenac's Problem Areas on HBO, which was executive produced by John Oliver. Basically, he's a big deal, and I can't believe we got him on the show. All right, I'm here with my college friend, Christopher I. Duffy, not to be confused with regular Christopher Duffy, who got the, uh, who mistakenly got the email invite to this earlier today. He's a professor in Canada, actually. He's a very nice professor who gets a lot of my email. <laughs> okay. So he should be very understanding. Yeah, he forwards me quite a few things going like, I don't think this is for me, but uh, I'm pretty sure this is for you. This like offer to perform at a comedy club is almost certainly not for this professor at Dalhousie University. All right. Well, uh, shout out to the to the OG Christopher Duffy who beat you yeah. to it. So you're going to be kind of a, a unique guest for me, I think, on this show in that you don't fall into kind of the, the the same technical boat that most people would associate as being like in the industry in terms of having a small business. Yeah. Um, the majority of the guests are either own, owners of, of generally uh, like a CPG company. What's a CBG? Uh, consumer packaged good. Oh, so, okay. so something a little more tangible, uh, and if not tangible, then at least a service in, in more of the traditional sense. You, sir, are a comedian. Mm-hmm. 
And I, I was telling you a little bit about this in the in our conversation leading up to this, but I've always been appreciative of how entrepreneurial your approach was to your comedy career. And I'm not sure if it was intentional because I, I, we've talked about classes that we took in college or that I took. I feel like you are living out the lessons learned uh, without having ever taken the classes yourself. I certainly feel like I'm living the lessons without any of the prerequisite knowledge. That, that would accurately describe my experience. Uh, well, I actually mean it more in like a, in a complimentary way because, you know, the, the comedy world is notoriously difficult to break into. And you and I have known each other for uh, 15 years. Yeah, that's right. Uh, that is a disgustingly long amount of time. <laughs> but uh, were, you did improv in college mm -hmm. and were, were very funny and then decided to go be a fifth grade teacher. Yep. Uh, which I know only because of your weekly email that the sign off is you are a uh, former fifth grade teacher and former fifth grade student. Both true. That's true. Both, both true. Yep. <laughs> no one's going to catch you in that lie. Um, and you did that for one or two years? For three years. For three, three years. years. Okay. So I am a liar. Um, so you did that for three years and then you transitioned into comedy full time. Yeah. Um, and from what you've told me, the comedy world is a lot about, as most industries are, uh, is about networking. And yeah. a, a lot of times, or, or what it seems like 99% of people do is they, they do it kind of the traditional way of grinding it out in comedy clubs, just show after show, perfecting their approach, their, their design, their shtick. And until eventually, you know, you, you kind of, it's like going to like audition after audition after audition, kind of in a, in a very public venue. Yeah. And what you did is you created a, a couple of different shows, both of which were, were very funny, at least the, the two that come to mind. And I'm sure you did a bunch of other side projects that I'm not even aware of. Yeah. Because you and I only lived in the same city for like a, a, a blink of an eye, really. So I've kind of been following you from afar and then I guess surprising you at shows whenever I can. Yes. Um, but you created uh, this context, and I kind of want to ask you if, just how intentional this was, or if you were just like, well, I, I'm not going to get booked onto the, you know, the Daily Show week three of my comedy career, so I'm going to do this, these things as a side project, or uh, did, you did you create these two shows uh, with the intention of creating opportunity to network, network with more established people. And I think I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself without uh, having explained what those two shows were. So maybe you could just tell us a little bit about you get a spoon and you're the expert. Yeah. So, um, well, just to tell you what they are. So yeah. the first thing that I did that kind of ever was any sort of success was I started this show called You're the Expert, where three comedians try and guess what a leading researcher does all day. And then we interview her about her work and why it's important. And so it ends up where you have this really interesting conversation with the leading scientist, but then also you're laughing because it's three comedians who uh, genuinely don't know what's going on, but are trying to figure it out. Um, and I created that show and I recorded it and put it out as a podcast and I sold it to the local um, NPR station, and then it was airing on NPR um, in Boston, and then uh, it became a, a touring live show as well as a, a really successful podcast. And then the other show that you're talking about, um, You Get a Spoon, was a variety show where I was having 
comedians, but also musicians and writers and filmmakers and people of all kinds um, come on the show and they would perform or share their work. And then they'd also share the things that they loved the most, like their, uh, their favorite things in the world, kind of like Oprah style. And then the audience would have a chance to win those. And then the reason it was called You Get a Spoon is every show ended with me talking about why I love this one particular mixing spoon so much. And I gave one person in the audience a mixing spoon and kind of built it into this big like cult around the spoon. And people would be cheering and going crazy when someone finally got the spoon. Um, so, yeah. real, so real quick, just, just to build on that, uh, three things about You Get a Spoon. One, I came to one of your shows and you did such a good job of building up the hype around that spoon that I, I remember like my visceral negative reaction at not winning. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the funny things was always that people acted as though like the only way you could get the spoon was to win it in the show. And I was like, you know, it's like a $5 spoon you could buy online or in literally any home goods store. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but it was just, you know, the idea was like, how do you like um, share the simple things that we like really enjoy that are fun and then right. people write about them. So um, the, the two other things I was going to say about, the, about you get a spoon was, so one, I remember my disappointment. And then uh, two, I want you to share the story about how the people from the spoon manufacturer oh, yeah. came. Yeah, well, so the, the spoon was the Tavolo silicon mixing spoon in candy apple red. <laughs> and uh, because the name is Tavolo, I just assumed that it was like a Swedish company or some sort of like Scandinavian company. And then I did the show in Seattle at like this pretty small theater. And the, uh, the company turns out that they're like a small company based in Seattle. And so everyone, almost everyone from Tobolo came to the show and they were like, what is happening? Never stop doing this. Like, please, thank you so much for everyone bringing the, getting so excited about these spoons. And they brought me a bouquet of different colored spoons, which I still have in the house, actually. Amazing. And then um, the the third thing about you get a spoon is I was thinking about how as I'm first starting this uh, this podcast that hopefully I don't know tens of people will listen to uh, you know if it would ever turn into some sort of money making endeavor. And I was thinking about how in in the beginning rather than have uh, kind of a traditional like what's the mattress that everybody that is on like every podcast or squares. Yeah, Casper or Squarespace. There's like five, it seems like there are like five companies that get yeah, shouted out. Yeah, on like every single podcast, right? Uh, but rather than having, once this gets wildly successful, obviously, yeah. which is clearly inevitable, uh, as I have just friend after friend on this show. Um, so ra rather than ha like getting big and then having people reach out just having people genuinely shout out their favorite companies that they interface with or, or use on some like day-to-day -day thing. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's great. I love, I love that. I think, I think people genuinely are excited to hear from people who like actually do like things. Right. Right. Know. And having it be a little bit more genuine rather than just be like, Oh, I totally stumbled across Casper mattress. It's like, yeah. I mean, you don't make money when people recommend things that they genuinely like normally, right. but, <laughs> right. sometimes you do. but you know, it's rare that someone's like, I'll tell you what made my day. Stamps.com, saving me a trip to the post office. <laughs> you heard of this little mom and pop telecom company, Verizon? There's three things I love. My wife, my dog, and Stamps.com. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a rare thing you hear, but you never know. Someone might feel like that. Yep. And I also, just right now, if, if you're out there at Stamps.com, please, I will say that for any amount of money, please. I will definitely say it. So don't yeah. feel like me making that joke means you can't, you can't sponsor me. 
stamps stamps is probably they fall into that that nice category of of companies who's looking at this thing going this whole covid crisis going oh people have to send more things in the mail yeah they can't say they can't go to the post office nice yeah so there are the companies like uh like stamps.com who are who are uh financially benefiting i would say from this and then there are uh, the the I think vast majority of especially small businesses, um, and I'm going to use that term very broadly to include people like you, mm-hmm. who are self-employed. And w- I guess w- we went over your two, um, the two shows that people probably know you best for. You've also worked on uh, on Wyatt's show, maybe. Yeah, I so I mean, well, also I, I think I would maybe we were going to talk about this later on, but I I'm not sure that I. I definitely wouldn't say that the reason I started things was so that it would like be a way to network. Um, but okay. Yeah. I guess we should circle, circle back to that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then, then, you know, as I was teaching, I started these on the side and then when they started kind of taking off and like people were coming and there was some like revenue coming in, but also like seemed like people were interested in the, the comedy that I was making. Mm-hmm. Then I was like, well, maybe I could do this full time. This might actually work. And so since I was teaching, there's this like very natural cycle of a teaching. Uh, career where you're like every year you decide like am I going to stay with this grade and so at the end of the school year I was like I'm going to take a year and see if comedy could potentially pay the bills and if it doesn't work at the end of this year I'll go back and I'll sign on for another year um and I asked my principal and she said you know like we hire new people every year so if it doesn't work come back great and then it just did like the first year I like between like doing some like teacher training and helping like coach new teachers and then doing some odd jobs and also comedy, I was able to pay the bills and then it kind of just progressed. And so now it's been, you know, um, seven years, I think full time, maybe even more. And, um, and it grew. And so then, you know, what you were just talking about, I went from performing live comedy and doing the podcast and the radio show to writing for television. I wrote for a TV show on national geographic. I read for a bunch of pilots. I worked for both seasons of uh, Wyatt Snacks problem areas on HBO. Um, and yeah, and then I've gotten, as a result, I ended up doing a lot more touring and performing in clubs and theaters and um, doing a lot of, of different things all over the country. So, um, so yeah, and it's interesting because like you said at the beginning, I would have never thought that I wanted to be a, an entrepreneur or like a small business person. Right. Um, and I certainly wouldn't have thought that my skills would lend themselves to that at all. But what's interesting is like being a comedian and being a writer working in TV or Hollywood, your jobs aren't like multi-year jobs, really. It's pretty rare. Um, like even my, like, even working for Problem Areas on HBO, that was, you know, you work for eight months and then you have a few months off and then you work for another eight months. And that's a very long, very stable job for television. Um, so I found that like a lot of my day-to-day and a lot of my like practical parts of my work ended up being the same as if I was selling like shoes or if I was like running a sock company or running a food company, like a lot of it was actually the comparable piece, right? Is like the, the thing I'm selling is like my ideas and my jokes, but like a lot of it is like, okay, like I have to track down, like, has this person paid me? Have I invoiced what I have to like set up the like logistics of getting to this place and like figuring out contracts and, you know, even having like an agent and a manager and those pieces, there's still a lot of it. That's just like running a, a business of my jokes, which is, um, strange and not what I would have at all predicted. Right, right. I, I guess just to to tie things up a little bit about how the 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 two shows that you created early on 
I, I think gave you a, um, I don't know, serve as a catalyst or, or maybe just were a kind of a, a, a rocket boost into uh, success. And, and this is only made possible because of your immense talents, but um, because you started this show at a very early part in your career, you were able to provide uh, value to the comedians who uh, who came onto your show and give mm-hmm. them a platform to express their works. And and as the show grew in following and quality, I assume you were probably also able to book uh, comedians of uh, higher stature or, or bigger followings. And and by having people come onto your show, they get to then you know. Uh, meet you know you um you know appreciate your comedic talents and then and then when they're on a show as you've explained to me down the road and someone's going hey we need someone to fill in this role they they can you're then one of the people who's going to be on their list as someone who can kind of fill in yeah for sure i I would always say i mean whenever people who want to get into comedy or entertainment in any way ask me for advice um and this is not my advice, but the thing that I pass on to them that I think is the most useful. In fact, I think I heard it from Sarah Schaefer, who's a comedian. Um, I think I first heard it from her blog post or something like that. Um, but that like the way that you're successful in comedy um, is your name is the answer to the question. Do you know who would be good for that? Because that's the question that people ask, right? It's like, you're in a writer's room and they're like, we need a new writer. They go like, who would be good for this? You know, and if your name is the answer, you already have your foot in the door. If they're like, hey, I'm booking a show and I have blank, blank, blank. I'm looking for a person who can do this. Who'd be good for that? If your name is the answer, you're going to get booked. So I think that a big part of it is like, how do you, one, like treat people well so that they like you, but also how do you like make it so that they see what you can do rather? Because I think there's this idea that's certainly very common in comedy of like, oh, I could do all this stuff. Like I have all this potential. Like I could write a movie. I could write a TV show. I could perform at these high levels, but people tend to only get opportunities when they've already shown that they can do literally that exact same thing. So some of it is obvious, right? Like you want to get hired to write a movie, write a movie script. And if your movie script is great, then even if they don't make your movie script, people will see that you're a good writer. If you want to write on a TV show, write things that are like the TV show you'd want to write on and put them out. And then people see like, Oh, you can write that kind of thing. Um, and so for me, you know, I didn't create you're the expert with this in mind, but I was making a show that like played to my strong suits, right? Like here's me talking to smart people, making it funny, making it accessible, doing a bunch of research, but then also making it really goofy and silly and providing this platform for other comedians to have a really great time and see me, in my elements and then I'm making them look good. And then they're like, Oh, I see the things that Chris can do. And so the jobs that I've gotten hired for are almost always things where they're like, Oh, that's the same thing that I've seen Chris do really well before. Um, rather than I think it's sometimes hard when people are like, why don't people see like my potential in a thing? It's like, well, people will give you the job when they see that you've done that exact thing before, which is, I I find frustrating sometimes, but I also think, is a little empowering because it's like you just go out and do it first and then the money comes. And I, I found across the board for me, anytime I've started a project thinking like this is going to make money, it's failed miserably. And anytime I've done something where I'm like, oh, this is just going to be really fun, but I have no idea how this would ever make money. It's ended up becoming the thing that has like made money and led to jobs and work. Um, and that's obviously different than a regular small business. But I think that like the idea of just like treating people well and showcasing what you're the best at, I think probably is more applicable to other things. Um, And then the other thing I would just say is, 
people have this idea about comedy that it's like a solo thing that like you make it by you all alone up there telling perfect jokes. But really what it is, is like you get good and you get funny and then you end up being friends with people who have similar senses of humor, who you think are funny and they think you're funny. And then they get us, they get like a thing, right? So maybe they get to like headline at a club and they say, Hey, would you come and open for me? And then you go and open for them. And then you get a thing and then you say, hey, would you come and help me work on this show that I'm working on? So you really come up together in this community. Um, and I think that like that is a big thing is like realizing that it's like collaborative and not totally people being on their own. Right. I feel like every time I, I talk with you, I, I, I learn more about I, I learn more about the your industry and just how little I know about it. But uh, it's funny because I think it's so similar to every time I hear you talking about the business of Rick Aroons, I mean, obviously we like, there's very different like worlds around us of like what right. our business looks like. But in fact, I think the like practical part is so similar, right? It's like, okay, like in order for you to like survive what's going on right now, you need people to like rally around the business and like for people to like reach out and, and happen uh, and take, you know, take your, have your back on social media and things like that. And that's exactly the same thing as in comedy right now, right? Like one source of income dries up. How do you get people to like, be like, Hey, this is really worth rallying around. Yeah. Th thank you for, for teeing up my segue into <laughs> uh, the the bulk focus of this specific show, or at least what I intended it to be, which is talking about the day-to-day the -day impacts that COVID is having on you specifically. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so maybe tell us just a, a little bit about what you had been working on, let's say uh, mid-February what yeah. you had booked out. I know uh, you had some, uh, some shows that, that were coming up. Yeah. You, a couple different shows, I think, that you were working on. And I believe, I mean, all of the, I, I get your, your weekly newsletter. And so I saw uh, the, the dominoes starting to fall in the same way that a lot of my special events were, where, where we had uh, the country's biggest um, rowing regatta that was coming to San Diego. And we had weekly farmer's markets and Costco road shows. Yeah. And each one of them was trying to hang on for as long as possible. And was for the most part, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. We're definitely going to do it up until they kind of fell off the cliff. It was just like, there was no, Hey, we're thinking about maybe canceling. It was like, Oh, we're trying so hard because everyone is doing the best that they can to, uh, adhere to the precaution, the, the prevailing precautions while also trying to survive financially. Yeah. And so for us, it, they, it was like one event got canceled and then two, and then pretty much everything got canceled. And I, I'm going to assume that you that you probably have somewhat of a similar story. So maybe you can walk us through that and kind of um, what you had on the docket, and then we can transition into what you have started to, to pivot towards. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I would also just, you know, I would personally preface me saying this with like the disclaimer that I think that, well, it's, it's my belief that like this is like way bigger and way more serious than even I thought at the beginning. And so like, I think that it was totally the right decision for things to be canceled and for people to stay at home. Um, and certainly not like the, if, if the biggest consequence was my career as a stand-up comedian is over, then like that's a, a consequence worth paying. So I just want to make clear while I say this, it's not like a woe is me, this was a problem. Right, right. But it is certainly a problem for me. But in, on balance, mine is not the suffering that's worse. Sure. Um, and it's uh, it's it's March 29th. I'm I'm really glad we I didn't start this podcast three weeks ago because I feel like or or four weeks ago because I feel like 
whoever I was talking to and, and almost certainly myself would have been like, Ugh, it's just, a, it's just an overblown flu. Yeah. And I think, I, I think things are changing so fast that it's so it's fast. Really hard to know. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so I, I mean, and you know, four weeks ago I went and performed at a corporate conference in San Francisco. And like, that seemed like, uh, that's probably okay as long as I wash my hands. And now I'm like, wow, that was wild. I can't, it feels like a world. Uh, that was a wild west. Yeah. Different times. Yeah. I mean, okay. Uh, just in order to, to answer your question of like what I had lined up, I have to just tell you like the way that in the past few years for like the past three or four years, the majority of my income has come from writing for television. And then when I'm not in a writer's room from performing live, mostly at like bigger corporate events or like on like a theater tour. Um, not that's like not necessarily just mine, but like with another group. So like I had performed on tour with uh, pop up magazine, which does these big shows all over the country. Um, and I do a lot of like events at like a college or um, for like a, a conference and that kind of stuff. Um, so those are like most of or festivals. Those are like big, those are my big money makers. And then, um, and then I'll do a lot of like shows around town, like in Los Angeles or New York or other cities there. I'm just like doing stand up, And a lot of that is kind of like to get new material and to practice and to kind of become better. Um, and sometimes the, they almost always pay a little, but that's not like the main source of income for me. The main source of income is like these bigger shows. Um, and well, whether, then the, whether big or small, they're all your, for the most part, your, your traditional tightly packed stadium seating, which in, in this day and age is like the absolute worst possible thing. And will will probably be one of the last things to come back right? Large, large group gatherings. And, you know, I, I think that there's a very real chance uh, that it doesn't come back, to be honest, uh, or doesn't come back in the way that it was. Um, but yeah, every, I mean, to answer your question of what happened. So like, as soon as uh, there started being shelter in place orders, I mean, New York and LA are the big centers of comedy, big centers of entertainment. As soon as that happened, all of Hollywood shut down pretty much. And, and you're so, in Los Angeles. I'm in Los Angeles. I moved from New York to Los Angeles this past year. Um, so as soon as that happened, all production shut down. So there's really no TV or movies getting filmed right now. Um, some places are still working on like writing, but like they, they're almost all places that had already existed and they're just like wrapping stuff up. But since there's no production that can be done, a lot of things are on like pause or in this weird like frozen zone of are things gonna move forward or not. And then as far as live performance, obviously, like you said, I mean, that's like the number one worst possible uh, transmission vector is to like be in a packed comedy club and, and comedy thrives in like small packed places. That's like where it gets best. It's like a small basement where there's not that much airflow. Um, so those are all shut down. So basically, you know, I went from being like, Oh, I have like three or four big events coming up in the next three months that I know will like cover my rent and my bills. And I'm applying for, and I'm in the running for, entertainment jobs and like writing jobs um, to being like everything is on pause potentially indefinitely and all the shows are like quote unquote rescheduled right so like maybe they'll happen but like they're gonna happen in August instead of May they're gonna happen in October maybe um, and so that's yeah it's a really tough spot to be in because there's all this uncertainty and a lot like the reason I was saying they might not come back at all is um, comedy theaters and just theaters in general operate on razor thin margins already. And 
I, I just can't imagine that even a month or two months of being closed, that most of these places aren't going to uh, really, really suffer unless there's some real concerted effort, which there hasn't been yet, I think. Um, yeah, well, so I think uh, this just this past Friday, I believe, the, the CARES Act passed. Yeah. Uh, so I know we'll certain, certainly be investigating and exploring uh, what, what our options are there. We're in a, in a much, much better position than a lot of people are because our product does have a, a eight-month shelf life. So it's not the worst thing in the world for us to, to sit on some product and, uh, you know, we're a small family office or our overhead is pretty low. So yeah. I think that we're relatively well positioned. It's, it's certainly brutal. And we've seen a, like a gigantic decrease in revenue, uh, at least in the short term, as we kind of figure out how exactly to pivot. Um, I think for, I, I'd, I'd love to hear how have for someone like you, um, you know, we talked about the, the, the comedy, the comedy scene and how comedy clubs operate on, on razor thin margins. It is going to be absolutely brutal for them. You know, if you're, if you're a comedy club owner and you're putting aside, I don't know, $500 a month, which probably is generous for a lot of people. You're, and this is, you know, net profit at the, at the very end of everything you're putting aside 500 bucks or a thousand bucks, but your overhead is 5,000. That means every month that this goes on, you're putting aside 10 times your monthly savings just into propping things up. So I think for a lot of people, and this is this goes for for mom and pop coffee shops, juice bars, comedy stores, whatever, anything that's kind of a, in the mom and pop realm, brick and mortar is it's going to be uh, it's just going to be. I think there's going to be like a graveyard of small businesses at the end of this, and hopefully the government is able to prop up and, and elongate the, the lifespan of a lot of these companies. Well, I mean, I would say like, for, for me, the people who I'm concerned about are less the comedy club owners and more like, you know, comedy, the business of comedy is really the business of like selling food and drinks while comedy is happening. So right. uh, I'm much more concerned for like the chefs, the bus boys, the servers, the bartenders, like those are the people who are like fired without maybe, you know, with a week. Yeah. Maybe. Um, and, those people aren't getting any tips, you know? So like, right. those are the people that I'm really worried about. So I think it's, uh, there are obviously layers to it. And in the short term, it's kind of everybody. And and whether it's, yeah. the, you know, it's, it's the owners, you know, people are talking about like rent abatement. It's like, well, okay, but what about the, 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 the guy who's, you know, who owns one house, he can't afford to have, to not have rent paid, right? And so it's like, there's this whole systemic, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, look, chain it's, of it, events. this is the, and, the chain of events. Right. But no, I think if you course. protect the people at the bottom first, then, you know, the people at the top have more cushion for sure. So, you know. Oh, yeah. No, I, no, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely right there with you. I'm not saying like, oh, poor Jeff Bezos, man. Like if people yeah. help help this guy out. Yeah, I mean, look, Jeff, the fact that Jeff Bezos is asking for donations to help Amazon workers is really just oh. an egregious slap in the face. Uh, but yeah. I think that like a lot of the theaters, you know, a lot of comedy theaters are doing things. They're like trying to put things online. They're asking people to like buy gift certificates for right. like shows later on. I think that kind of stuff is a great idea. Yeah. Um, and, and, well, and I would just say one thing about the, about the, um, the owners of the, the comedy clubs or in my world, the juice bars and the coffee shops is yeah. if, if, the if those places go out of business, then there becomes a systemic issue of the, of a lack of infrastructure for 
that will allow a quicker return to normalcy. Yeah. It, because, okay, if the juice bar that you worked at closes down, it's one thing if it's like if it's on pause, and it's another thing yeah. if it just implodes completely and there's nothing left. Well, this is like I think there's the I think it's Denmark where they're like we're trying our hardest to put it on, put the economy on ice where they're like paying the salaries for like eighty percent. So they're like put everything on pause, go home, and then when it's safe, we'll just unfreeze everything. Whereas here we're kind of like the federal government has really not. Uh, there isn't a universal plan. Offered. Yeah, there isn't a plan. There isn't. It doesn't seem like there's ways in which the smaller, more vulnerable uh, citizens or uh, businesses are going to be taken care of. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> We're like what, five or six weeks into the generally accept, maybe four or five weeks uh, into like the, the generally accepted idea or, or just, bl- just actual realization of, as to the severity of this crisis in the yeah. U S but we're only like, I don't know, two weeks into the federal government or the executive branch, at least recognizing it and not just being in like flat denial that everything's going to be just fine. Yeah. So yeah, yeah so we're, we're, we're all reacting at different speeds. Totally. Um, so, uh, are you glad that you had a comedian on? It's so funny already, right? I've, it's been a laugh riot, yeah. nonstop <laughs> laughter. Me talking about how the economy is going into the depression. Uh, well, if I had to hear it from someone, I'd, I'd, I'd rather hear it from you, Chris. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Were there more things you wanted to know about how, how the business is, this business side of how it's affecting? How everything's on in flames. Uh, yeah. So I, I guess, yeah, you were just starting to talk uh, before you were so rudely interrupted um, about how comedy club owners are trying to put things online. So maybe you could just tell me a little bit about what the industry is trying to do. And I know that's a very broad sweeping question, very general and then maybe pivot from there into what you are doing specifically, because I know that as we kind of discussed early in the first half of this show, you you take kind of a an off the beaten path approach, at least yeah. to your career um, as a whole. And then I would assume you probably have some genius solution that you can share with everyone as to how to uh, save them. Ready, go. Yeah, tune, stay tuned to the end of the episode when I solve the coronavirus pandemic. <laughs> Uh, make sure you don't don't leave now because after the break I've got a cure. After after this quick word from from Casper and Stamps. Exactly. Yeah. All it takes is one night's sleep on a Casper purple mattress. Um, I think that's actually their competitor. Anyway, uh, what's <laughs> yeah. going on? So uh, there's kind of two things, right? So like the the like Hollywood side, the like films and TV shows, those are all on pause production wise, but like. If anything, there's more demand for that kind of stuff now. So I don't think any of those businesses are going to like totally go under. I think that there's this is just on pause as to how can you like film things safely. Um, so I think that that will just kind of like come back and there'll be like pent up demand, and then that will be like the ideal where it's like there was a pause and now we shoot back up and there's pent up demand. Um, it seems like it. I don't know how long. I mean, there's a lot of people who are going to struggle to pay their bills in the meantime because not a lot of people have the uh, the like money saved up to right to the bank up. account runway to to get through it. But certainly there are more people who have that cushion in Hollywood than in other industries. The people at the top. People I, at the, the top. Sure. Is, there's a lot of people who in who work on sets who are you know the carpenters, the set builders, the gaffers, the sound people. Like those people do not have like millions of dollars saved up. So 
it's going to be. Well, if they would just cut back on the avocado toast, maybe they would. But that's another conversation. A classic argument. But in in California, you don't even have to cut back on your avocado toast. You just get your free avocados. As far as the live performances, I think that's where people are really trying to figure it out. Because there's a lot of people who make their money on the road performing and opening and doing live shows. And that, one, it's not coming back for a long time. And if it comes back, it's probably going to look really different. So I think that there's been a movement to try and like figure out, like, is there a way to perform comedy online? Like, is there a way to do like Zoom stand-up shows? Are there um, ways in which you could like stream a comedy set on Twitch and then ask for donations? Um, I think that a lot of the people who are doing the best and probably will come out of this most successfully. Actually, there's an incredible, uh, a great comedy journalist, Jason Zinneman at the New York Times. He, he just does a great job of like, covering comedy and treating it seriously, but also writing about it in an insightful way. A, a comedy journalist, by the way, did not know that exists and sounds awesome. He's great. He's really great. And he, um, he just wrote a piece today about how like the people who are kind of doing the best in the like independent comedian space right now are people who are um, performing like directly to camera characters. And that, that those kind of people are like doing really well because it's like really built for the internet. It's built for like performing online stand up like traditional joke set up punchline it it's hard to do without yeah. an audience in a vacuum tough so it's not that they're they're for example um one of the best shows in new york butter boy um that's a that was a weekly show on mondays and the producer marianne waves now is bringing that online so people pay five dollars and they can watch the show and it's comedians live streaming from their house and it's really funny and and it's creative and great and people are experimenting with it and then you pay $5, you get a link to it, and then the money goes to cover the costs of the show and also goes to the comedians. And I think stuff like that could become more popular. I don't think it will ever be possible for that to replace the income of live shows. But I do think that more and more people are going to kind of like figure out like how do they blend that with those character videos, with making their own weird, you know, 20 second video making their own weird eight minute video that then becomes like its own Instagram thing or something online, which already a lot of comedy had kind of moved in that direction of like, how do you put things online? How do people access it whenever they want rather than going to a show? Um, I don't know. I think that the, the bummer of that is to me so much of the magic of comedy is like being in the room with someone and seeing the reaction and hearing someone's thoughts and laughing with them there. And feeding um, and, and feeding off of the the energy in the room. Yeah, but surely, but certainly things like podcasting, like um, live videos, like uh, making you know short films, like doing all that stuff, I think is going to continue. And, and a lot of the comedy clubs are now like linking to like you can watch sets on YouTube, you can come listen to our live show, you can come do stuff like that, and that's what they're trying to do to like encourage people to to just like keep a connection to the theater at least like one place that I perform that's a really wonderful small theater in Los Angeles the Lyric Hyperion theater um they're asking like all the performers to like hey do you want to do something on our Instagram for as long as you want sometime this week and just like pin while you're performing like here's the link for donating to the staff so then like you do it and hopefully people are like that's funny it's worth giving a dollar or two to um the staff and maybe that that makes a difference yeah so people are trying to kind of plug the holes like that yeah, that last one I've I've um, watched a couple of friends who are who are musicians. One of whom is is very talented, but doesn't necessarily have 
the following to to make that an ongoing career right so it, it's it's one thing to have like well let's see i'll start with with how we did something similar so i wrote an email to all friends and family when after all of our costco roadshows got canceled i think you guys were probably you and, and your wife were probably on the yeah definitely we were yeah you okay so you were on the the, the receiving end of this email it was basically like okay uh you know real talk here's where we thought we were. We just came out with this evolution of a new product. Uh, we stocked up on it because we feel like it's so much better that we were anticipating all these sales. We were poised to have the best month that we've had uh, ever. And instead we're regressing like six years in terms of our monthly revenue. And by yeah. the way, we've only been around for six and a half years. So it was a pretty precipitous drop off. Um, and we had an incredible response from friends and family and the support was incredible. So although our m total monthly revenue basically jumped off a cliff, a, a decent portion of that was replaced by online orders be because of like the, just how gracious and, and supportive our close network was. The reality of the situation though, is if this situ if the, the shelter in place and, and the, the negative business impacts continue on as forecasted, that little spike that we had in in support from friends and family can only be expected to happen once, right? I yeah, can't, it's not a sustainable thing. Right, I can't just write these emails week after week and just expect people to continue to, to throw money at me. Yeah. Uh, and it's kind of the same way, so I have, I have a friend who just, um, he just had an Instagram Live and he, and he had a, um, a piece of paper taped up that said, it was it said like tip jar and then it had his Venmo. And so again, a very similar thing to what, what um, to what I just described with our online sales, I'm sure lots of friends and family, you know, Venmoed five or 10 bucks or, or whatever um, for an hour of a, you know, watching on your phone and it's kind of feel good and it, and it captures the sentiment that, that we're all in right now where we want to be supportive, but it's not a sustainable replacement of income for someone who makes their living playing for two or 300 bucks a gig at bar X, Y, and Z. Uh, you know, to provide the the live entertainment for the night, yeah. For you know, at at a at a local like three or four star hotel that 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 or or a wedding or something like that, uh, it, it's just hard to see them continuing to sustain that that level of of friends and fam and familial support. And so, I would imagine that it's probably going to be somewhat similar for those comedians where, yeah, you can figure out something in the short term, but the, the, the difficulty is going to be exactly how do you pivot into something way more sustainable long and, and ongoing? Because as we talked about earlier, crowded comedy clubs, it may be years before th that, that returns to the way to, to what we know or what we think of as that, as, as the, the packed comedy club. Yeah, I mean, it's look like the donations are great, and I think that they're a way of like community support. Yeah, but they're just going to be a they're going to be a temporary. Uh, they're going to be trying to bail the boat without putting fixing the hole for sure. Right. Um, Ooh, so yeah, I think that's just the reality of it, right? But I think that there is something important at the same time about being like, hey, like this is our community institution that is struggling whether that is the small business that is a family business that makes delicious rickaroons or whether that is like the cafe or the family owned restaurant or the comedy theater. Like those are the things that like make living in a place 
vibrant and meaningful. And that's like, that's why people live where they live is because they have connections to the, the businesses and the, and the people around them. Um, so I think it's important that people also see like, Hey, like I can support and I can relate to that both because it like connects a little bit, solve some of the financial problems for a tiny bit, but also because it's like, okay, well now you can like advocate for and, and realize that like, if we lose this, we'll actually lose something meaningful. Right. And, and, and I definitely, and I just want to say everything that I just said about how it's not necessarily sustainable, that does, I, I'm not detracting from the value. No, no, no. I, and I don't think so at, at all. all. I, I'm just saying, I think that that's one reason. Right. And, and, and as a, you know, as a business owner, I can tell you that like, it's been, it's been hard these last couple of weeks coming to the office and just sometimes I just stare at my computer screen. Like, what do I even do? Because the, the, business landscape has changed so much from mm. what I've grown accustomed to and, you know, gotten into my groove of how my week looks week after week, um, after, you know, six plus years of doing this and then having basically everything is now different. And, yeah. and it, it, the, the value of having a community support outpouring of support cannot be, uh, overstated. And I think totally. that, like you can see it in the eyes of, uh, you know, Jack and Jill's coffee shop when the, it, it looks like a post-apocalyptic barren landscape on the street where, you know, we're, I'm in, you know, very metropolitan San Diego and it's like tumbleweeds are basically blowing down the street. And when you yeah. walk up and you're like, Hey, can I get an iced coffee? It's like, Oh, thank God. Someone didn't forget. I, I exist in this world. And so yeah. there's, there's uh, a level of emotional support that is extremely valuable. And so this has definitely provided an opportunity to, to be a part of a community. Yeah. And there's, there's that side of things, but obviously that doesn't pay the bills. Totally. And I think, you know, uh, to answer your question of like, what am I doing to solve yeah. that? Like, uh, well, I mean, first of all, just to be totally transparent, if I wasn't, married to someone who had a stable job with a stable income right now, I would probably be in a much, much more dire financial situation. Um, because you and me both. Yeah. I, and you know, like in the best of times, what I do is a feast or famine industry. So like the hard part for me is uh, not only do I provide a service rather than a good. So it's like when the gig gets canceled, it's not like I just sell it another time. It's just like, that's just gone. Um, but also like, my income is so unpredictable. It's like often like I'll have one thing that'll like pay the bills for three months. And like I had a few of those and those all got canceled. So like that's dire for me. Um, but because I am in a relationship with someone who uh, has a, a much more stable, predictable job, which knock on wood for the time being is, is seems to not have been like too threatened by the financial situation. Like we're in a better spot to weather it together. Um, and also, like I said, I'm in a feast or famine industry. So like maybe I'll get hired on one of these TV shows when they start back up. And then all of a sudden I'll be like making tons of money and it'll be great. Um, or maybe that won't happen. And then I'll figure something out and I'll switch back to a different career. Um, I think that I had after seven years gotten to the place where I was like, there's no doubt in my mind that I'll continue to make money as a comedian. And in the last month, I'm like, there's doubt as to whether this will be the thing that like in three months, whether I am still doing comedy is a, a real question. Um, but in the meantime, uh, I am trying to pivot towards, again, thinking that like in the past, what has worked for me has not been like pursuing what is like the reasonable financial choice because artistically that just doesn't really work. Instead, I'm like, 
what can I do that I think will be like fun and unique and different and like take advantage of this? So like I'm starting a, a game show that takes place over Zoom where people can come in and like I announced it and like I'm doing it for free at first. And um, so there's no way that income will come in. But like a lot of people responded that they were interested in being a part of this. Um, so like I'm going to do that and I'm going to do the first one on Tuesday and it'll be an experiment and maybe it'll be a disaster. But even if it's a disaster, maybe it'll be hilarious and maybe that will grow into something. Um, I'm interviewing people for uh, a video series that I'm, I'm making called uh, Smart People Talking Calmly because that's the way that I want to get my information right now rather than how I've gotten it uh, so far, which is like uninformed people panicking. <laughs> and um, Yeah, I'm just trying to do things like that. I'm just trying to pivot towards like, what are the things that I can do and that seem like they're interesting and make use of my skills and worrying less at first about how I'll make money off them because it's just so overwhelming to think how money will come in. And then who knows when you make something that works and that people like, um, I think when you provide value, then often the, at least in comedy, if you provide value, then like, and something that people care about money often follows that rather than the other way around. Yeah. That is a side of the business that I hadn't really thought about. And I, I do think makes the entertainment business, especially for non uh, household name celebrities, yeah. uh, you know, how, how you are forced to start things out and how you have to kind of have a longer runway than maybe someone who's like, I'm going to start a website selling toilet paper right now because totally. everyone needs toilet paper and it's like so obvious. And for you, yeah. it's like, you could do, you have like an infinite number of paths to take. Right. And yeah. And I, most of them lead to horrible, horrible, unwatchable <laughs> comedy. <laughs> and almost all of those also lead to financial ruin. So I'd say like 99% of the infinite paths lead to like truly uh, a humiliating failure in every way. But there are many paths. Yeah, right, right. No, no one's doubting the, the number of possible paths. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so have you talked with other people and, and, and this, and this game show, you said the first one's going to be on Tuesday and yeah. I mean, today is Sunday and there's uh Oh boy, a very minute chance that this podcast is published before. Yeah. But by the time, by the time this is out, I will either have decided I'll never make another one or it'll be a regular thing. So you can check Chris and you'll find out whether it's happening. Okay, great. And uh, for all the people who probably would be listening to this it, on the off chance that it did come out tomorrow, uh, those people will most likely be talking to me, talking to me tomorrow, and they are my wife and my mom anyway. So I'll Great. just tell them. They can also go to chrisdeppycomedy.com. I'll, I'll just tell them about your show. Yeah. Uh, so that was going to be my next question: is if people are are looking to add some levity to their life and watch a new in its infancy game show, chrisduffy.com. Chrisduffycomedy.com. Chrisduffycomedy.com. Not chrisduffy.com uh, is not me. He's a former. Oh, I think he actually is an ESPN commentator. Or something. There we go. <laughs> I, I love how uh, by the nature of your of your profession, you are forced to know who all of your namesakes are. Oh, yeah. And also, if you Google image Chris Duffy, you, what's great is you find mostly a professional bodybuilder who's like largely nude and then a few photos of me in there, too. So it's <sighs> great. Largely nude, oiled up man. And then a couple of my little face smiling smarmily. 
All right. Well, I'm just going to, uh, in the show notes, which I've never actually created, but I assume that they're a thing because I've heard uh, people on Podsave talk about show notes and, and oh, yeah, whatnot. Uh, I'm definitely going to include a link to uh, pictures of other Chris Duffy's. Absolutely. You're going to need that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Um, okay. So you've got the game show coming up and then uh, what, what was the second one? I'm working on like putting out a video that I'm recording that that'll be just like me interviewing a lot of um, experts on what's going on. So like a uh, person who's working on a coronavirus cure, a therapist who talks about like how to deal with stress when you're living with your loved ones in such close quarters, um, a lot of different people. And then having them putting that video out is like, here's like a little primer of like, here's what you need to know from smart people talking calmly. I would assume just because of who you are, but uh, that, that that there will be some certain comedic value. Um. Oh, I think you'll probably laugh at, at moments. Yeah, at well, not the whole time. Some of it, uh, most of it will be informative, but there'll be some moments. I would hope that, uh, or I would, I would be surprised if w- while they were going over mortality rates, if it were just a laugh riot. Oh, I think it will be, that's the hilarious, that's the most hilarious part. <laughs> okay. Um, yes. And that's the end of my career wow. right there. Uh, canceled on, canceled live. My mom is going to be really offended. Yeah, well, that's what you got to do in these days. Edgy comedy pays the bills, baby. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, we will see. Um, all right. Well, we're, we're pretty much at the end of, uh, I, I know you have a Zoom dinner to get to because you got to get from one Zoom to another. I am a Zooming from place to place. Th- that's a thing now. That's a thing. Uh, Multiple it, Zooms, simultaneous Zoomings. It, it really is amazing just how quickly, you know, we, we've talked about how like day-to-day things are changing on in terms of the, the business landscape, but also just like what we have come to accept as the new normal. Like I, I honestly didn't know what Zoom was. Or, or maybe, maybe I could have like from a multiple choice picked out that it was an, an online collaborative space with mostly video conferencing. And now it's literally the only reason you've seen another human. Uh, yeah. Outside of your house. No, seriously. I mean, when you said, when I asked you earlier today, because when I asked you, uh, what, two and a half hours ago, what time worked for you out of the blue, uh, yeah. which by the way, is one of the few positives out of this crisis is everyone yeah. is always available. It's, yes. so, it's yes. so great. Uh, my sisters were asking, they, they wanted to learn like a dance move. And one of my other sisters, uh, she unfortunately is learning or she's finishing her senior year as a dancer at a dance academy now with online classes, which is bizarre. Um, yeah. But anyway, so my, my other sisters who, who you know, um, were, were asking basically about how to twerk, which was hilarious in and of itself. But yeah. it was amazing how they were like, oh, well, let's just call this friend and that friend. And every single person was just sitting at home and just ha- was like happy to hear from the outside world. And Please really answered and was like, oh, y- you want to know? Sure. Let me just go ahead and set my phone up here. And <laughs> this is how I do it. Truly, there's never been a better time in modern history to learn how to twerk. That's what I've said for weeks now. And I, I think uh, if, if this show has taught us nothing, it's that we should really take the time and the energy to connect with others and learn how to twerk. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, I think that's a great place to end things. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. Talk to you later. Talk to you later.
Thank you so much to Chris Duffy for being on the show. If you would like to learn more about Chris and how he can make you laugh, go to chrisduffycomedy.com. You can check out old episodes of his podcast, You're the Expert, anywhere podcasts are hosted or at theexpertshow.com. And you can always watch both seasons of Wyatt Cenac's Problem Areas on HBO, which Chris wrote for. Thanks to Peggy Bunker and the Bunkmates and their frontman and future guest of the show, Ryan, for use of their song, Geronimo. The ever-depressing unemployment and COVID stats come from the Department of Labor website, dol.gov and worldometer.com. As always, I am ending today's show with one unsponsored small business recommendation. And today's business that you should support, if you can, is Kapari. They make an all-natural coconut oil deodorant, among other things, and I suggest it because it's the only deodorant my wife will let me use anymore. No need to feel guilty shopping online because you're shopping small and helping the economy. Check out smallbizgoneviral.com for all episodes and updates. I would genuinely love to hear from you with your feedback, input, interview nominations, and suggestions for future shows. You can always send an email to smallbizgoneviral at gmail.com. And just like with small businesses, if you like this podcast, share it with friends. Someday, hopefully soon-ish, this will all be over. And until then, stay inside and remember to shop small and buy local.